Amen, amen. All right, well, we're on part 10. We're in chapter 5. We're rounding the back stretch. We have this message and then two more, and we're done with the book, at least for this series. And um, so this morning, uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Now, if you look at your Bible, you'll notice virtually every Bible, it, it has the section go through one, verse 1 through 21. Uh, the headings, you know how they put those little headings in there? They always, uh, virtually every Bible version, they put the, the next section heading at verse 21, between 21 and 22. But I will just tell you, I've stared at that long and hard and I don't see verse 21 going with the next, uh, uh, I mean, verse 21 going with the previous section. It goes with the next section, section, and verse 1 through 20, they all go together. So 1 through 20 goes together, and then 21 through the rest of the chapter, uh, and the next chapter seem to go together. So I've, that's how I've cut it up. So we're going to go verse 1 through verse 20 this morning. Um, so let's take a look at the outline here. Uh, and there's a, just a really, really important truth that we've mentioned, but I want to emphasize it. And it's this, that the Bible always instructs us in knowing the love of God before it ever instructs us to walk out the love of God or telling us how to live. In fact, if you, when you read biblical um, directives and commands and prohibitions on different you know, lifestyles, uh, choices and sin and stuff, whenever you, whenever you see those things in the scripture, it always presupposes that you understand the love of God toward you. And, and that is a critical thought. I, I, you know, I feel like so often we have instructional teaching uh, in the church that tells us what to do and what not to do, but we miss this critical component that the only way that you live uh, holy is from a revelation of love. The only way you live according to God's commands is by a revelation of love. And if that isn't first, if that isn't central, then walking it out is impossible. And, and it will crush you. And, and here's what I found. Many believers live their entire life under shame because all they live under are the instructions in righteousness and the directives, the commands, and the prohibitions that the Bible offers without a richness in the revelation of God's affections and delights toward them. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's the first and second commandments, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which the only way you can do that is by knowing his love for you, which is what uh, John tells us in 1 John, that uh, we love him because he first loved us. So the first commandment presupposes you know God's love towards you, then you love him back. There's this interchange of love with you and God. Then from that place of, of being filled with the love of God, you can love others. You can walk this love, this love life out. And so that's just a critical thought, and I always want to mention that because I've just found, like I said, so often believers will live under shame over the commands and the directives and the prohibitions because they don't realize that that lifestyle comes out of a heart that's alive in love. And, and that's what the Bible is, the expect, expectation of the Bible is, that you be filled with love and then walk out holiness, walk out righteousness. It's, it's really even one of our values in the house of prayer. Holiness, we, you know, we have this I-H-O-P, I-H-O-P, but it's intercession, holiness, offerings, and prophetic that holiness, that walk of holiness for us, it's not just about you know, putting yourself in a straitjacket and never doing anything wrong. It's actually about being filled with the love of God, having a heart that's overwhelmed with joy and God's affections. And from that place, you say, I'd never, ever want to do anything that would get in the way of me and God. Does that make sense? And that's how Paul teaches it. That's how it's taught throughout the scripture. And so even in this section, we'll see that. He's going to give a variety of commands and prohibitions, but you'll see how he actually just reminds us, even in this section, even though he's taken three chapters in the book, he's going to remind us in this section that this comes from a revelation of love. So it's just absolutely critical that we understand that. Uh, and so I mentioned here in B that what he's going to do is he's going to show us how we're supposed to walk, what the prescribed lifestyle is for people that are filled with the love of God, for believers. And, uh, and like I said, it's, it's presupposing that we've digested what he's already talked about in the first few chapters. 
Now, uh, he uses the love of God as the basis for calling us into this, and, and then he gives us three different areas, and he uses the term walk. He goes, I want you to walk this way, not, not the song, but walk in a certain way, and he gives three different versions of it, and he's, uh, some of you guys are still like getting that one, walk this way. Yeah, anyway, all right. And so he's, he says, I want you to, to walk in love, I want you to walk in light, and I want you to walk circumspectly. So, so walk in love, walk in light, walk, in, walk circumspectly. It's about walking in holiness, walking in revelation and authenticity, and walking in wisdom, living a lifestyle this way from the revelation of God's love. That's what this section is about. And so um, last thought, D, uh, like I said, there's several prohibitions, several commands here. Here's the thing you have to get. When you see a biblical prohibition, when you see something that says, don't live like this, which we're going to get into several of them here, it's always a statement of who God is. Okay, now just follow me. Often we get uh, under the weight of the command and we go, man, that's a serious command. Like, ooh, I need help to do that. And we kind of get in this moment of, you know, tension of how do I walk this out? And, and the Lord is calling us to walk it out. But what he's doing is he's calling us to walk out the command from a revelation of who he is. And the point I'm making is this. When he says, don't give yourself to uncleanness, the point is, understand who I am in purity, So whenever you see a biblical command where God says, don't do this, the the revelation behind it is because I'm not like that at all. Find out who I am and the opposite of that and allow that to fill your heart so you'll never want to walk in this. Does that make sense? Sometimes we can just hear the command like, don't, 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 and we don't know that there's a do there. And the do is know God in the opposite. Know who God is in purity. Know, when he says, you know, don't lie, it's know who I am in truth. He's so pure. He's so true. He's so clean. He's so holy. He goes, know who I am. It will compel you to not do the opposite of me. Does that make sense? And, and so I think that's so helpful when we get these biblical prohibitions and commands to understand he's always speaking these things out of his nature. He's telling us who he is even in the process of telling us how to, how to act. All right, so... With that in mind, let's do this. Let's read uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1, and we'll walk through some of these commands and some of these prohibitions. So he says, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Well, the obvious thing is these are issues that were challenges for believers in that day in Ephesus. And if you read through that list, guess what? These are issues that are challenges for believers nowadays too. You know, the devil doesn't create anything new. Same tricks, same attacks, same stuff. He just repackages it and and redoes it in every single generation. And, and his goal is to continue to heighten it, to heighten the sin, to heighten the lasciviousness of the world, to heighten the lust of the flesh and cause men to agree with him so that sin becomes normative. And if we look around in our day, guess what we find? That even there's legislation in our, in our laws that normalize different areas of sin. And, and here's the point. God has opinion about all of that. It's not just cultural pressure. There's even legislative pressure. Like, hey, no, this is legal. You can do this. And, um, and, and the Lord has an opinion about all of it. And so here's the point, is that believers are to be different than the world. 
It's not just like, hey, it's okay because you know the world says it's okay, so this isn't a bad thing. No, no, no. We are supposed to be so different. We're supposed to live by a completely different law, and the law is the law of love. And what, what love looks like is completely different than the legislation that we see in the world, even, even the, the, the legalities that govern our society. Now, some of those are based on righteousness, but many of those are not. So let's just look through this and see how God is calling us to walk in love and the boundaries he's giving us and, and understand who he is in, in telling us to live like this. Well, the first thing he says is, be imitators of God as dear children. So that, that word dear, it literally means dearly beloved. Children in whom the father has his affections set on. There Paul goes, he's doing it again. He's t- before he tells us how to live or how to walk, he goes, he loves you. He loves you. He goes, do you know who you are? You are a dearly beloved child of God. Now, he- here's a critical, critical truth. When you get up in the morning, when you walk through your day, when you, when you live, as you live your life out, what is the, the predominant way that you see yourself in relationship to God? Servant, how do you see yourself? Some people just see, see themselves as servant or, or, or you know, bond slave or he's the king and I'm, I'm just the subject. And over and over and over in the scripture, while those terms are used, more often these style terms are used. You're a dearly beloved child. You're, you're his son. You're his daughter. He is tender towards you. He's affectionate towards you. You know, um, my kids, when my kids do something wrong, you know, I might get momentarily frustrated with them, but it's just a little while until I'm just like, man, I just, man, I just love them. And the, the tenderness in my heart toward them, it just overwhelms, you know, the frustration I had toward them. And, 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 and the father, he is way more long suffering and way more patient with us than any of us humans ever were. And so the father is so tender towards you. He's so patient with you. He's so affectionate towards you and delighted in you, even in your weakness, even in your failures. Amen. That's the key. That's, that's understanding the love of God 101. If you don't believe God loves you in your failures, you don't know the love of God. And so he is a father who is, he was dearly beloving you. He's affectionate toward you. And it's from that place of knowing your acceptance, knowing the Father's delight in you, sensing the warmth of of his desire for you, that you're able to walk out a a lifestyle of righteousness because you go, I'd never want anything to hinder this relationship of love that I have with my Father. I'd never want anything to get in the way. And I want my heart to stay here. I want to be alive in this thing. So he goes, as dearly beloved children, because that's who you are, imitate him. And I love that because it's what kids want to do with their dads. They just want to act like them. You know, I just think it's so cute when you see the, the little child and they're looking at the dad and they're just doing exactly what the dad does. And they don't even realize it necessarily, but they're just imitating them. Why? Because there's that affectionate bond between a father and his child. And there's that natural connection. And so he goes, look, just like little kids automatically, how they want to imitate their dads. He goes, you imitate your father because he loves you like that. He's affectionate towards you like that. This is the real relationship you have with him. So, so then he goes, now, remember that the father is love. You walk in love. And he gives us this principle. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us, we're to also offer ourselves. He goes, he was a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma to God For us, now we are to offer ourselves just like Jesus offered himself. And so this right there, that's the nexus. That's the the hinge point of love. He goes, giving yourself away just like Jesus gave himself away in light of God's affections for you. This is where the rubber meets the road. And I like to say it this way, that once you get to know love, 
Love will reduce you to love. That's what happens to you. Once you get under the fountain of God's love, love will begin to unpack those areas of selfishness and, and, and all sorts of things in our lives where we're, where we're keeping God at a distance and, and no, he'll get right into all those nooks and crannies. You know when God gets in your business? He starts talking to you about stuff that you don't really want to talk about. That's, that's me area, God. He goes, oh, no, no, that's me area. He goes, you're not your own. He goes, you've been bought with a price. He goes, I paid for you. You are mine. So everything is fair game. And here's how we try to live. Well, I, I'm really good in this area and this area. I love you, Lord. And he goes, what about this area? He goes, no, 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 no. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this. He goes, no, no, I want to talk over here. He goes, you go, no. He goes, yes. He goes, just as Jesus poured himself out as a sacrifice, holding nothing back, I'm calling you to pour yourself out as a sacrifice and let me get into all those areas of your life. I want to bring you to the place where love is what governs you. See, this is the beauty of serving the Lord because, you know, so many people, they kind of serve the Lord in fear and the Lord goes, that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm transforming you into my own image. And so even when God corrects us, even when he disciplines us, even when he points out areas of in, inadequacy, insufficiency in our life, he's never doing it from a basis of shame. He's always doing it from a place of trying to lift us up out of it. And what do we do? We do like Adam when we step into sin. We try to keep God away. And God goes, no, no, no. I need to get into that area. I need to show you who I am in that area. You need to know me in that area. And then that area of sin, you won't want it anymore when you see me. Love reduces us to love. And ultimately, it calls us to, to lay our lives down, just like Jesus laid his life down for us. So... Now he's going to give us directives. He goes, so get to know my son, get to know my love for you as a, as a dearly beloved child. And from that place, he goes, let's follow holiness and righteousness. Let's not let uncleanness or impurity or anything that's not like me be any part of your life. So then he just starts going through the list. He says, a fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Let it not even be named among you. This is how my children are to live. It's from the revelation of who he is that he calls us to act like him. And let's just be, be plain with it. God is not a fornicator. God doesn't do uh, things outside of covenant. He's speaking of his own nature. I've had so many young people over the years, they go, you know, is sex, why is sex before marriage a problem? I mean, it's, it's not really hurting anyone. And I go, you know what? Here's the thing. God created sex. Sex is good. God made it that way. He put all the special nerve endings where they, where they are in the human body. He made our frames that way. But he made it to be enjoyed in certain boundaries. And those certain boundaries are inside of a covenant of marriage. And it's glorious that way because that speaks of God. We don't have intimacy with God outside of covenant with God. We don't have intimacy with a spouse outside of covenant with one another. That's the whole point of it. So he goes, let not fornication be named among you. Why? Because it's not like God. It's not how he is. Impurity, uncleanness. He uses this term, uncleanness, to speak to all manner of, of sexual immorality. He goes, don't let it even be named among you. Why? Because God's not like that. He's not impure in any way. He's not unholy in any way. And, and somebody, you know, some people, they get, when they get a picture of holiness, they think, oh man, straight jacket, got to get a nun's habit on, or, you know, a monk's, I don't know what monks wear, but that thing that monks wear, you got to get that on you. And that's not the point at all. The point is, there's beautiful liberty in sexuality when it's God's way. But what the world does is it takes sexuality, twists it up, perverts it, and then completely offers you something that's not God at all. 
In God's way, sexuality is how God made it. It's beautiful. It's, it's supposed to be fantastic. But what the world does is takes what God made, twists it, and perverts it, and now you have this monstrosity that ends up dominating people. It, it ends up hurting people. And, and, and the amount of hypocrisy that's in the world right now over this issue of human sexuality is pretty amazing. Hollywood calling out right now saying, you know, uh, uh, this, this whole abuse thing, it's, it's bad. It shouldn't be. And I 100% agree with it. It shouldn't be in any way. And then the same people that are calling it out are making movies that are promoting it. It's just like the devil, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're ashamed for doing that. Now, here, just do it. <laughs> and, and, and so the Lord goes, I'm not like any of that. I'm not unclean. I'm not impure. Intimacy is good, but it's supposed to be inside covenant. That's who I am. And then he ties it to covetousness, that, that lusting after things that are not rightfully yours. God goes, that's not like me at all. He goes, I'm generous. He goes, I, I, I'm open-handed, open-hearted. He goes, that lusting after things that's not yours, he goes, that's not me. Don't be like that. And in Christ, the way, way that, that it actually plays out is you see somebody else who's getting blessed. You see somebody else who's doing well. You celebrate it. You see somebody else with a gift and they're excelling in their gift, you go, yes, way to go, guy. You don't sit there and say, man, well, I'm better at that than they are. I need somebody to see my gift. No, don't do that. Just celebrate theirs. Let the Lord make of you what he wants. And in in time, he gave you the gift. He'll use the gift the way he wants you to use it. He'll put you in a place to use that gift, right? Right? But he's tying all this together, covetousness, impurity, uh, 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 fornication, uncleanness, all these things, these lusts. He goes, I'm not like any of that. He goes, be holy as I'm holy. Perfect holiness in the fear of God is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7. He goes, walk this out because this is how God is. And so he goes, this is what's fitting for the saints. So he goes, fornication and uncleanness, depart from that covetousness, depart from that. And I put there in your notes and just in parentheses, what's that telling us about God? He's holy. He's pure. He's generous. He's never this, you know, lustful, greedy kind of, kind of person. And then he says, he says, all filthiness, all foolish talking, all coarse jesting, all those things that aren't fitting. And somebody goes, so I can't be silly. No, he's not saying you can't have fun. He's not saying you can't be, you know, have jokes. But what he is saying is this, that there is a, a way that men and women go about with their speech. He goes, it's, un, it's impure and it's not like me. And, and so there's a purity of speech that, that is edifying. It can be fun. It can be silly. It, you can have jokes and be joyful. But, but the point he's making is there is a wisdom and there is a foolishness. And the wisdom is like God and the foolishness is not. So when he says no foolish talking, he's not saying you can't ever joke around. He's just saying that there's a wisdom that exudes the heart of God. It shows a fear of the Lord. And that's where he's at. He's at this place where our talk, our talk, our words should show a fear of the Lord. That we've got a governance over us that, hey, no, I I honor and I respect God. So I'm not going to say certain stuff. I'm not going to mock certain things. I'm not going to joke about things that are, that are you know, uh, uh, maybe sin or whatever. Um, you know, one of the things that, that people do is they'll, they'll mock like, um, and you used to see this in comedy a lot. It's not politically correct anymore, but they, they would lock, they'd mock homosexuality. And, and I just feel like something like that is, is it's off limits. We're talking about people that are dealing with a sin and they're mocking it and how they talk and stuff. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. No foolishness. Don't mock sin. Don't, don't use your language to, to show that you don't have a, a fear of the Lord. Be, be pure. You can have fun. There's a lot of, of fun, holy things that you can talk about that are, that are totally in bounds, totally within limits. That are, that are, you know, funny. You can be funny and silly. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about foolish talking is you don't have a sense of, of wisdom over you. You don't have the fear of the Lord on you. And that's when he gets into this coarse jesting. And you know you've been in those conversations 
where the person is saying the thing and they're making jokes and they're mocking people or, or they're saying things that are just, they're on the line, they're borderline, right? They're, they're, they're just not pure and they're coarse and, and you just get around that and you just, you feel it on the inside, right? You go, man, that's just, just something just not good there. And, and, and the Lord goes, no, I don't want you to use your tongue that way. I don't want you to jump in on things that are coarse, that are, that are rough, that are, that are not like me that don't show the fear of the Lord. And, and, and so uh, there's a pressure on that, right? Because you're at, you're at work and you're around the, the coffee maker and everybody's got their coffee and then the person says the joke and you get the opportunity to laugh with them at that coarse joke that's you know maybe a little off color or you get the opportunity to like drink your coffee. <laughs> but so often we want to fit in, we get jump right in on that joke with them. And the Lord goes, not fitting for saints. It's not what love looks like. It's not fitting for saints. And you know what that ends up requiring? That sometimes what's fitting for saints means we don't fit in with the world. It's just awkward. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in that awkward situation. And, and, and sometimes it's not with unbelievers, it's with believers, right? And they're making the joke and everybody thinks it's funny. And, and you just, you go... In your soul, you're like, I know this isn't right. The Holy Spirit on the inside is going, no. And everything on the outside is like, ha, 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 ha. And Holy, Holy Spirit's going, uh-uh. And, and you've just got to like, okay, wait a minute. What am I going to do right now? Am I going to affirm this coarseness, this impurity? Or am I going to imitate my father? And so you can sit there with a, you know, a kind look. You don't have to be you know, looking like you just you know, sucked five lemons. You know, feel like, so, you know, you don't have to do that. You can just sit there with a kind look. And then they look at you like, ah, and you go, and they go, well, well, well what? And you go, ah, not funny. <laughs> not funny. What do you mean not funny? Ah, Ephesians 5. <laughs> it's not funny. And, and you'd be surprised just putting a standard like that without judgment, how that will change people. You know, you ever been around, you ever been around and, and uh, maybe you're around some coworkers or some family members or whatever, and, and they'll, they'll like cuss word, they'll drop a cuss word or something. And then they go, oh, they look at you and they go, oh, 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 oh. And you go, yeah, you're fine. Be you. You do you. I don't feel like I can do me around you. I go, well, sorry. But whatever you're free with, you just do that. I remember one time I was getting my hair cut and uh, a, a buddy of mine had referred me to this hair cutter. And the reason why is because he was wanting me to, to, um, share with this guy because my buddy had been sharing with him. He goes, hey, go, go get your hair cut with this guy and, and we'll just continue to, just to show him Jesus and talk to him about the Lord. And I was like, great. So I'm sitting there and, and I go, yeah, my buddy referred me to you. And he goes, oh, cool. And this guy's talking to me and he's just dropping F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb. And I'm going, mm-hmm, 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 you know, and I'm just, whatever. I mean, you know, just not judging, but like this and that. I'm like, wow, he's really free with those F-bombs. And then finally, he just goes, who did you say referred you to me? I said, Ryan. He goes, oh, Ryan, who works at the church? I go, yeah. He goes, where do you work? I go, at the church. He goes, I knew it didn't feel right every time I was saying that. <laughs> Something felt wrong. And I go, hey, you're fine. You do you. It's okay. But there was that standard that was brought. Why? Because I didn't join in with him. And the Lord actually says, that's like me, that's like love. And there's a laying down of your life in that. Why? Because you, you risk looking like a fool you, to the world. You risk being crucified like Jesus was. And it is what it is. But more often than not, it will bring a standard of holiness and a standard of righteousness. Can you say amen? And so uh, he goes on to say that... This lifestyle, he goes, we're walking in love, we're saying no to impurity, we're saying yes to righteousness. He goes, but a lifestyle that's embracing impurity is ultimately a lifestyle that disqualifies us from the kingdom of God, which is serious. And that's why we have to take it serious. Not only is it this is what God is like, he said, this is what actually stirs up the wrath of God. He's not giving us an exhaustive list of things that, that cause the wrath of God to, to come on people. But he says, uh, 
He goes, no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man. He's just listing the same sins that he's listed before. Who is an idolater. Ultimately, these things, they, they amount to idolatry in the heart where you're worshiping sin instead of Jesus. You're worshiping lust instead of Jesus. He says, nobody who's doing these things has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ and God. He goes, and don't let anyone deceive you. Why? Because in their day, there were heresies that said, you know what? You can practice impurity and immorality, and it's okay. And, 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 and you see it in the book of uh, Revelation, where Jesus, he, when he's speaking to the churches, he says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And Nic- the Nicolaitans, they were following a doctrine of this guy named Nicholas. And Nicholas was telling the believers that it was okay for them to, to you know, exercise themselves into impurity and immorality and fornication and adultery. And Jesus said, no, I hate that. Why? Because it's not like me. It's not who I am. And so he says, be pure, be holy as your father is holy, imitate God. He said, these things are the types of things that cause people to be disqualified from the kingdom of God. And and, and here's, let me just be really, really clear how this works. Because believers, a lot of times, uh, ones that are insecure, they'll say, well, I did that one sin, am I out, am I like X'd out of the kingdom? And, And the answer is no. Any, any sin, any trespass can be repented of, but it has to be repented of, which means you turn away. You know, repent means an about face, a change of the mind, a, a change of direction. But, but here's what he's pointing to. He's saying, if you give yourself to impurity, you give yourself to fornication and adultery, ultimately there will come a time when you will turn away from God. You know, you forage out into the sin And if you don't repent of it, you stay in the sin. And guess where that means? You're separate from God because he's not in the sin. Amen. And he says, these types of things are what cause the wrath of God to be poured out on believers. And and, and what's ultimately going on there is this, that people are out on people because people, what do they do? They make themselves more like the devil than they make themselves like God. You see, because remember the first set, the first verse says, imitate God like a dearly beloved child. Imitate God. Don't imitate the devil and what God's not like. But when people do that, ultimately, they end up severing themselves from God and they end up giving themselves to looking just like the devil. And he goes, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Don't let anybody talk you into a lesser standard of holiness. Beloved. This is such a, a move that's in the, in the church today. There's such an, uh, 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 a spirit that says, you know, you can basically do whatever you want to do and you're fine. And that's not the Bible, okay? And then they'll say, well, you know, the, the social you know, norms today are different than the social norms were then. And I'll say this, there might be different social norms, but there's one moral standard. And that's Jesus, and he's perfect. And he didn't just sort of get you know, less perfect because we got more sinful. You, you know what I'm saying? So that, that concept that, oh, you can just sort of give yourself and, and foray into sin a little bit, and God doesn't really care because he understands because society's gotten darker, so, you know, it's just okay. No, don't let anyone deceive you with that. That's not truth. What's truth is he's holy. He's pure. He's perfect. And he died, Jesus died, laid himself down, what? To redeem for himself a bride who would be comparable to himself. And he's perfecting us and purifying us and cleansing us and justifying us. Why? So that we would eternally partner with him. He is not going to marry a bride that is completely different than him. He's going to marry a bride that has been purified and cleansed and who has set herself apart. You know, it's all in the grace of God. It's not in legalism. It's all in the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the blood of Jesus. But there's got to be that lean in the heart to righteousness and away from wickedness. 
and away from sin. So where there's sexual impurity, where there's immorality, where there's fornication, that stuff has got to, he says, don't even let it be named among you. Don't even be let it name, be named among you. And, and here's the thing. Most believers don't do fornication. Most believers don't do adultery. Some do, and they need to repent. But what they do do is they will plop down $15 to get entertained by stuff that's got fornication and adultery in it. Oh, now I'm all over your toes. That's letting it be named among you. That's what that is. And he says, no, be separate. Be separate. Amen. All right. Don't be partakers of these things, he says, even if they try to entice you into it. Do not be partakers with them. All right, let's look at verse eight. So that's what he gives us on this issue of walking in love. Isn't it amazing how he talks about walking in love and ties it to holiness? Paul does that over and over and over again. He goes, to the Corinthians, he said, you have these promises that God would be a father to you, that he'd be close to you and intimate. He goes, now purify yourself, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is the message of of the New Testament, that we draw near to God in intimacy, and from that place of intimacy, we say no to uh, ungodliness, unrighteousness, to worldliness, the desires of the flesh. Amen. All right, verse eight. He says, you... Were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There it is. First section was walk in love. Now it's walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even, even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. All right. Now, as Paul does regularly, he reminds us who we, are, who we were and who we are. He's done this several times through the book of Ephesians. He's doing it again right here. He goes, you used to be darkness, but now you are light. And as I was was sharing last week, I feel this. If we could really understand who we are in Christ now, it would continuously provoke us to lean into those truths. I'm always convicted when I see truths in the Bible that are not manifest fully through us. Man, I don't want to adjust my theology to line up with my experience. Do you know what I'm saying? I want to allow the truth that's in the scripture to compel me into that walk that it says I can have. He says, you are light. You're light. So in those moments when there's darkness going on, you have something different. Listen, and I know, I know it can be challenging. I I know, you know, different jobs are very difficult. Moms, stay-at-home moms, I know it's hard. I get it. I I empathize with you. But you're light. You're still light. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if the days are long, even if, even if there's persecution, even if there's trouble in the earth, even if there's people talking about you, saying things against you, you're light. You're light in the Lord. You used to be darkness, but you're not that anymore. You're light. Walk as a child of light. Your father is the father of light. Be a child of light. And I believe this, that it's talking about purity and holiness, but it's talking about revelation, and it's also talking about being authentic, being real. One of the things I think the church really needs a good dose of is reality. Just be real. There's... There's something about how people want to live behind a veneer. They want to hide. I believe this, that when you're a child of light, you're just, you're just real. You just allow yourself to be an in-process person who's working through the challenges of life. And that, beloved, is light. You know, people put on Facebook, I mean, Facebook, 
all these things about their life. And so often it's just, just the good thing. Just the, you know, you just, you just think everybody is like made it by reading their Facebook feed. Like everything is awesome. And uh, you just think everybody is exploding with success. Reading everybody's Facebook posts, you'd think, man, how do we have any problems in the world? Everybody's doing awesome. Because there's that tendency we always want to show our good face, put the good foot forward. In the church, I make fun of it all the time. We say, bless God, praise God, glory to God. How are you doing? Glory to God. Bless God. I'm good. Blessed. How are you, brother? I'm good, brother. Praise God. You know, and we just, we almost don't even communicate because we want to we have a faith confession saying positive things and not negative. You're still light, even if you're fighting through darkness. That's the point. Be real. Be open. Be honest. Man, I'm leaning into righteousness, but this has been a challenge. You know what I'm saying? But I'm walking through because I'm, I'm light in the Lord. Just be honest. And I think that's part of what he's talking about because he says, walk as children of light, but the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Truth, being real. Because you used to once be darkness, but now you're a child of light. He goes, therefore, walk in these things and do what's pleasing to the Lord. And let it be your lifestyle to find out what is pleasing to God. Obviously, you can find it in the, in the verses. You can find it in the scripture. What pleases the Lord? What kind of life pleases the Lord? I, I love that psalm that says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And, and I pray that over my, myself a lot. I go, Lord, I just, what I think about and what I say, I want it to be a blessing to you. I want to please you with how I, how I live. And, and that's what a child of, life, of light is. And so he goes, live by the fruit of the Spirit. And I put there in your notes, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, gives a, a longer list. He gives nine fruit of the Spirit. I sometimes wonder if there's, you know, a lot more fruit of the Spirit than just those nines. So we, we, like to, we like to learn in lists and teach in lists. And, and I, don't, I don't know that Paul was going, I'm going to give you the only nine fruit of the Spirit. There may be many more. There may be many other things the Holy Spirit produces in us of character that are, that are like God. But there's a, there's a list there in Galatians 5 that you can look at and read. Here he gives us three. He says goodness and righteousness and truth. This is what a child of, of light is like. And so then he goes, don't have fellowship with the works of darkness, but expose them. I said it this way in E. I said, don't cooperate with sin. Don't cooperate. Don't partner with it. That's, that's what that fellowship means. Don't partner with sin. Don't get in there with the lusts of your flesh and partner with it. And don't get in there with unsaved people and partner with them in sin. He's calling us out of that because we're light. You know, especially new believers, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. You're different now. You're different than you used to be. You used to be darkness, but now you're light. There needs to be a difference in how you walk. And that's one of the biggest challenges is, uh, you know, you've got a whole bunch of friends or family members that you're used to living with and you've been doing all sorts of sin with them. And then you, you really, you give your life to the Lord and all of a sudden you can't do the same things with them that you, you're wanting to do now. There has to be a cut. Doesn't mean that you can't love them and be, be available for them, but it means this. When it comes to you know, getting your fellowship, getting your relationships, you can't look to them as your place where you get fellowship. You have to sort of make a cut. I, I remember when I got saved, I had to look at some of my dearest friends and just tell them this. Listen, I'd say, as, as it depends on me, I'll be the best friend you've ever had, but while you're not serving Jesus, I can't trust you to be my friend. And they're like, what do you mean? And I go, well, you're serving the devil and I'm serving Jesus. I mean, you can say it better than that, but that's what I told him. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not a Satanist. Well, yes, but no, but yeah, you are. What do you mean? I go, well, I'm light and you're still in darkness. Man, you're, 
What are you talking? You're just holier than that. I'm not trying to be. I'm just telling you, I'll be your best friend, but I can't keep doing the stuff you're doing. I had to have those conversations. I can't keep doing the stuff you're doing. And I would just say, hey, come with me and serve Jesus with me. I remember one of my friends one time, I just said, listen, I go, I need to tell you something. He goes, yeah. I go, you know, I don't, I'm not drinking and smoking pot and doing all that mess anymore. He goes, that's right, I know. And I said, listen, do you really know what's going on with me? He goes, you got, you got religious. And I go, well, here's the truth. God's real. And because he's real, it's changed everything for me. And I realized that he's real. And since he's real, I need to live my life his way and not my way. And I just asked him, I said, listen, if by chance God is real, would you want to live his way? If he's really God, wouldn't you you want to live his way instead of your way? And he goes, well, well, yeah. And, And I go, that's all I'm doing. I'm living his way instead of living my way because he's real. My friend, poor guy, he goes, man, I wish you never would have told me that. <laughs> I, said, I said, why? He goes, well, well, now I know. Now you know what? God's, that God's real. And man, why'd you have to tell me that? That's what he said to me. Why'd you have to tell me that? Well, because it's real. That's why. Because I love you and and God loves you, but there has to be that break. And that's what Paul is saying here to these believers. He's saying, don't get in there and fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Expose them. And he's not saying, the the point isn't, you're now the, the gossip colonist for all sinners and you're telling all the sin that everybody's doing. He's saying, expose it. In other words, bring your light to it. Bring your light to it so it's evident that sin is sin and righteousness is righteousness. Does that make sense? Make it evident through the way you're living that it's exposing that that is, that's darkness. And then he says it's shameful even to speak of those things. And the point is, he goes, don't celebrate sin with your speech. He goes, it's not that you can't ever say, oh, this happened or that happened, but he's saying, don't celebrate it in your speech. Don't make this thing like a, a, you know, oh, those sinners, they're having a good time. They're partying up. Man, I wish I was like that. He goes, no. He goes, break from that. Let your light expose what that is. He goes, and and walk as a child of of light. He goes, don't don't even, don't even, uh, don't celebrate that. Don't even talk about that stuff in, in in a positive way. And he says things that are done by them in secret. He's actually specifically talking about this, this Greek. There was two Greek cults, and they used to do these secret rituals at night. He goes, it's just weird. Don't even talk about that weird stuff they're doing. And he goes, see, in the verse 13, he's explaining it to us. He goes, all things are exposed. They're made manifest by light. For light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Light makes things manifest. In other words, you see what stuff is when you bring light to the situation. So he goes, awake, you sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. What's interesting, verse 14, he says, therefore he says, which would seem like he's quoting an Old Testament Bible passage, but he's not. Scholars believe that he's quoting a hymn that they used to sing in the first century church. He says, arise, shine, let Christ shine on you. Arise, awake, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And beloved, this is a word for the church. He's speaking to the Ephesian church. Wake up, church. Let Jesus shine on you. Let him be the light inside you. Let your light shine. Let it be real. Let's walk this thing out for real. Wake up, church. I had a dream recently, and I was shaking someone and I was just saying wake up wake up and I just knew it was just it's just a word for the church we just can't be dulled out by a world that is drowning in sin we just we just can't get our senses dull and just compromise and hard and and compromise with our speech we just can't live like that Wake up, your light in the Lord. Christ will shine on you and through you. Wake up. Say no to sin. Say yes to righteousness. This is Christianity. 
We really can live like this and we really can be different. We don't have to judge everybody. We can just bring our light to a situation and bang, darkness is exposed. You can smile at them in love and not participate with them. You don't have to compromise because Jesus is on the inside. And you don't have to agree. You can gently say, I actually don't agree with that. Those are fun conversations. I mean, if you like conflict. But they're, they're, they, I'm, I don't mind conflict. But, but that's an, I mean, you want to have an interesting time at the family gathering? <laughs> you know? When they do the thing, they go, what do you think of them? I don't really agree. What? Well, the Bible and Jesus, God loves you. But that's, that's a part of this, guys. At some point, we've got to let our light shine. Amen. And not be counted with unrighteousness. Amen. All right, last portion here is just we're closing. Verse 15. So first was walk in love, now it's walk in light. Verse 15, he's going to tell us to walk circumspectly. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeem the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So walking circumspectly is another way to say walk in wisdom. That word circumspectly, it literally means walk turning your head from side to side. Walk aware. Walk enlightened. Walk with your eyes open Pay attention is the idea. You ever notice how when time just, just as time just grows on and as you get older, you can just find yourself just going through the motions of life. Life is sort of just happening to you. The the biblical admonition is don't let it just happen to you. Be alert. Be aware. Pay attention to what's going on. Have your eyes open and be wise. Be be aware of of what's happening. Don't be a fool. Don't be one that's eyes are closed, just going through, just, you know, just just going through the motions of life and being led astray. He goes, no, 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 be alert, be wise. Have your eyes open and walk as wise. And he goes, one of the ways that you can walk as wise as a wise person is redeem time. Don't waste time. Use time for the kingdom. Use it for righteousness. That's not to say you couldn't ever have a break or you can't ever have a vacation. No, you got to have the appropriate rest. Some people, when they read that, they go, no days off in the kingdom of God. The devil doesn't take a break. Neither will I. Glory to God. (laughs) That's great. But you also have the promise of a Sabbath rest. You also have a, a personal capacity issue. You know, some people, eight or 10 hours of work, and that's, you're done, dude. You need to, like, rest and so that you can get yourself ready to do it again. And, and some people are like, no, God said redeem the time. And, and, and so then they end up in diminishing returns. And what they're doing is they're working and they're toiling to be valid to God instead of redeeming time and then resting in his love, right? So there's a rest in faith, and there's a redemption of time by which we're using the time that that God's given us in a way that's wise, and the point is you use it for the furtherance of righteousness. And, And this is kind of the way it boils down. Look at how you spend your time. Look at the way, you know, if you've got a career, of course, you're using your career to, to support and, and cover and pay for your family. You're using it to make money, to, to live, and to support the kingdom of God. Praise God. I would say after that, where does the rest of your time go, right? Because you need time with the Lord. You need time and rest. The thing that I think most people where they don't redeem time the most is they will get um, certain hobbies that they just spend all their time on. And the hobby is almost more important than Jesus. 
Hey. <laughs> I think I hit it. The point is, let Jesus be your hobby and whatever else you do, it's lesser than your addiction to Jesus, so to speak, than your life with Jesus. Redeem time. It doesn't mean you can't have a hobby. It doesn't mean you can't have entertainment. It doesn't mean you can't have vacation or, or, or rest time. You have to have all those, okay? But the point is to not have any of those greater than your heart of devotion to the Lord. So the way you spend your time in a week, there needs to be an ample amount of that that's given into the service of loving the Lord, studying the word, sharing your faith. And that's just normative Christianity. Can I get an amen? And that's what he's talking about, redeeming the time. He goes, why? Because the days are evil. And the point he's making is things are growing darker and darker. He goes, don't waste time while, while the sun is setting. Don't waste time while, while the world is growing more and more evil. He goes, redeem the time. He goes, don't be unwise. Get the will of the Lord in this matter. And he gives one example, and then he gives us the alternate. He goes, don't be drunk with wine. That's a waste. He's giving us an example. He goes, a drunkard lives his life just wasting his time, just letting that life happen to him. That's the perfect example to describe what the, the lifestyle he's saying don't be like. You know, somebody that's just drunk all the time and they're just going through life, wasting their life, can't even remember yesterday, can't remember last week, right? He goes, don't be drunk with wine. He goes, there's a different way to live. Be filled with the Spirit. Oh, that the church would be filled with the Spirit. Man, that we would be filled with the Spirit, that every single person we talk to, we're just overflowing with Holy Spirit. And that's how I want to live my life. I, I, I'll confess, I don't always feel filled with the Spirit. You know, we asked the question, did you get filled with the Spirit? Oh, yeah, I spoke in tongues back in 1997. No, he's talking about something different. He's talking about a lifestyle of being filled continuously with the Holy Spirit so that your life is an expression of love and of light. He ultimately calls that wisdom that you're filled with the Holy Spirit so that what's coming out of you are spirit-led words. What, what you're doing are spirit-led actions. And that's how I want to live. I, there's seasons in my life where I felt just such a filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, you know, I, I've seen this happen where I would talk to people and I would just maybe use an example or something. I, you know, I would just be talking to them about maybe the Lord or the Word. Or, and I would give an example and I'd say something like, you know, like, it's like when a, when a train is running down the track and, and just that momentum and, and the way the Lord wants to use that. And, and then they'll, they'll look at me like this. And I go, yeah, what, what? And they go, I had a dream last night of a train going down a track and the momentum. And I go, Really? I would just use that as an example. And they're like, that's the word of the Lord. I go, I'm, I'm just being dorky. But here's what I found. When you're filled with the spirit, you'll involuntarily begin to say the word of the Lord. That's, this, that's the way this works. That's called having glory in an earthen vessel. You know, you're just you, but the glory on the inside of you starts popping out at people and you're using the example they dreamt of the night before. You're saying the thing that's the very word of the Lord for them. What's that? That's being filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit coming out, coming through you. And, and so he gives us a list here and he goes, this is how to be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He goes, sing and make melody to the Lord. Give thanks for all things to God the Father. Let's just take a moment on each of these and we'll close. First, it's all about what you're saying, right? Isn't it amazing? What's coming out of your mouth has everything to do with being filled with the Spirit. Gosh, that just, I just heard a ding back there. Did you? Did you ding? Right when I said that, there was a ding that went off. But here's how it works. So often, remember we found out last week, when you speak, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. When you speak, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had those conversations with another believer and you're just sharing the word with one another and then you just leave out of there and you just feel energized? What's going on? You're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What are those? Those are odes, O-D-E-S, of revelation. 
Spiritual songs. What are those? Those are things the Holy Spirit is giving, and we speak to one another by revelation. That's what he's talking about here. That there's revelatory moments when we share together. Okay? And, and a lot of times you've been to the church, and, and the guy will be up leading worship, and they go, all right, let's, let's just turn to our neighbor and sing. And then you're looking at the person next to you, you've never seen them before in your life, and you're like, eh. I love you with the love of the Lord. Come on, turn to your neighbor and sing. And it's awkward. And they go, the Bible says sing to one another. Come on. That's not what it's talking about. That's why it was awkward. Because he's not telling you to turn to the person you don't know and look them in the eye and sing a love song. He's talking about fellowshipping in the word, speaking to one another about the word with the spirit of revelation on you and how you get filled. Gabe and I were just talking, I guess it was Friday, I don't know, it was Friday morning, we were just talking and I was just sharing a challenge I was dealing with and we started talking about the word and man, I came out of there, I felt filled. Why? Because we're speaking to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we have to be engaging with is talking with each other about the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to get in there. And then he goes, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Everybody... Listen, everybody has a ministry of worship. Everybody has a, has a gift of singing. Now, not all of them are for the platform. Glory to God. But all of them are for your car, your shower, your bedroom, your kitchen. Everybody can sing and make melody to the Lord. And if you don't know, you can just, you know, now we've just got it so easy. You just got on your phone, you got Spotify or whatever, play worship songs. And all the worship songs come in, start coming out. And you can just sing with them. Now, some people, they always have a song on them. Some people need a little jump start. But either way, the point is, be singing. Be singing. I'm going to tell a story of my brother. You know, I remember when my brother got saved, and he came out of a rough lifestyle like, like mine, but I remember, man, he started singing all the time. He sings at your house all the time, doesn't he? Yep. And he was singing all the time. And, just, and he would tell me about driving around in his truck at, at work, singing to the Lord and just weeping under the love of God. What is that? It's getting filled with the Spirit. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You'll be surprised. It's those little devotional times. You just sing those little songs. Lord, I love you. You know, Lord, I love you. Just sing to him. And man, all of a sudden, your soul and your heart begin to engage. And the Holy Spirit is just flowing in that. Some of the most tender times I've ever had with the Lord are just me singing my own little private little songs to the Lord. Not for public consumption. I know you guys are jealous. <laughs> but just private me and Jesus. And man, that's so often when the Lord really touches me. And then last, give thanks. Give thanks. He goes, give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks always for all things. Everybody say always, always. for all things. Always. What is he talking about? Does he mean if you get the car wreck, you go, thank you, Jesus, I got a car wreck. No. You walk away from the car wreck and you go, thank you, Jesus, you preserved my life. And the point is, to have an attitude of gratitude being expressed out of your mouth. I like to say it this way. If you're not in hell, everything is good, right? Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my wife, my kids. My... Thank you, God, for my friends, the relationship. Thank you for the house of prayer. I mean, often when I'm driving here on Collins Hill, I just look down here at this place and, you know, I spend a ton of time in the prayer room, but there's a ton of time where I'm not here and it still goes 24-7. I mean, there's always somebody here. And, I, you know, I'll be driving by and I'll, and I'll just know there's somebody in here worshiping. And, and I'll just thank you, Lord, for giving us the house of prayer. Thank you that there's continual worship going on. Guys, there's no end of things to be thankful for and to, to be 
grateful for. And I would just challenge you, if what's coming out of your mouth is more often complaint than it is gratitude, you need to change that. There was a whole group of people that complained a whole lot, and they really did get on God's bad side. Do you know who they are? Children of Israel. They complained. And they ended up under the judgment of God. Man, the church should be the, 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 the group with the most grateful hearts, with, the, with, the, with the, the most gratitude coming out of them. We have the best God with the best story. We've been saved. We've been set free. We're going to a wedding. If you're not at a wedding, the story's not over. You're going to marry the lamb. We're going to live forever. We get to go in the new Jerusalem. Jesus' face is going to light up the whole place. We're going to get a brand new body. I mean, come on. This story just gets better and better and better and better. You have all sorts of things to be grateful for. Express it out of your mouth. It's a key to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So often we say, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me. He goes, say something grateful. Sing a song of love. I remember when I was a young believer, my pastor taught me, he goes, man, when you're out of joy, you got to rejoice. You got to just start praising God. You got to be grateful and praise God and watch that change what's on the inside of you. Amen? Amen, amen. All right, let's stand.